Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For, for whoever suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Amen. You may be seated. Pray with me. Right, Father in heaven, we... Uh... We thank you that we've gotten to gather together today with the body of Christ and enjoy worship together. I was reminded this morning about David in the Psalms and and how he lamented that he was no longer able to join uh, the people in the temple for worship because he was on the run from Saul and he was in exile. And he couldn't gather with the, the people of God and it was just so sad to him. God, that's not the case for us today. We were able to join uh, in fellowship. We got to hear the singing of the saints. We got to uh, sing about the gospel and the glory of God and experience your presence. God, we just thank you for that. We, we remember our brothers and our sisters overseas right now. And God, many of them today may have had the same experience where they attended a church where they didn't understand the language that was being spoken. Or they didn't even have a church to attend. Or there are just all kinds of factors that that kept them from worship today. There are people, even in our own body today, who are not able to join us or traveling or whatever the case may be. And God, we just lift up all these brothers and sisters who couldn't be with us today. And we, we do ask you to encourage them, Lord. Encourage them through our prayers and your presence. Father, I thank you that we got to pray today about the silent holocaust of abortion. Far more babies have been, their lives have been extinguished far more in this country than Hitler ever thought about killing in Germany. Their blood is on our hands, the hands of this nation. Certainly, God, you, you distinguish between the righteous and the wicked. It's not to say that the, the abortion is, is on us. But, God, it is certainly on our, on our country. And it, is a, it, is a, it is not a scar. It is a gaping wound in our country. And we are dying. And we are killing ourselves. And, God, we ask that you would reverse the curse that she would heal the wound, that she would send the Spirit of God and there would be nationwide revival. I know it sounds far-fetched. But God, you're able. You're able. Pouring out your Spirit on the United States is is a drop in the bucket compared to what you have, God. Your grace can cover every sin. God, last year we prayed that, we prayed about Uh, against abortion. And God, over the past year, Roe versus Wade was overturned. God, that has been the the work for uh, 40 years. And God, it's been overturned. God, we thank you for that answer to prayer, not just of our prayers in church last year, but the prayers of many people over the years who've just been burdened and begging that you would move, that you would act that you would help. And God, you did that. And we thank you. We thank you for the lives that have been spared because of that. But God, we know that the, uh, the pro-abortion movement, they're just, they're ramping up. They're not going to take no for an answer. They're going to push for more. They're going to push for more than Roe versus Wade. And God, I just pray that the saints would fight back in prayer 
in love for their enemies and with the gospel. The people having abortions are the mission field. We are to love them. God help us. The doctors, the politicians, they are the mission field. They are the enemies that we pray for that they might become fellow citizens, God, because we are no better in the end. You have saved all of us. We were wretched. You had mercy and we thank you for that. God, today we turn to your word now and we ask you for your help and your grace because we are in a fight for our lives. Life is a struggle. It is a fight against sin, against the evil uh, people in this world and against the devil himself, the powers of darkness. And God, that war is waging today. It is waging outside of the church. It is waging inside of this room, in our hearts. The passions of the flesh are lurking. God, we need you. We need your grace. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen. So life is a fight. It's a struggle. It's not easy. One of my Sunday school teachers used to say that life wouldn't be so hard if we didn't expect it to be so easy. Can you relate to that? You wake up in the morning, well, I sure hope today is going to be a good day. The sun's shining. It's springtime. And the next thing you know, it's like World War III has broken out all around you. You're fighting with your spouse. Uh, you're, you're, you're arguing with uh, someone that you met. Um, you're trying to preach the gospel. You get a door closed in your face. You don't like the way people treat you and your, and your passions, the passions of your flesh, your anger, your pride. Those things start to rise up. What are you going to do? Day in and day out. There is no such thing as the perfect day this side of heaven because we live in a fallen world. Is that your expectation? It's going to be a fight. That it's going to be hard. That you're either going to kill sin or it's going to be killing you. That you have to love your enemies. Is that your expectation? Or do you expect everything to be perfect? Do you expect justice and fairness? Well, we've already prayed about that today. Life isn't fair, is it? Especially for the unborn. It's not fair at all. Yeah, don't, don't expect justice in a fallen world. It's great when you get it. And when you do get justice and when life is fair and when it's good, it came from the Father of heavenly lights. That's... That's the one that every good and perfect gift comes from. It comes from Him. Don't expect it from the world. We should expect to suffer day in and day out. I don't know about you, but I, I, I still believe what my Sunday school teacher said is true. That, that life wouldn't be so hard if I didn't expect it to be so easy. I, I honestly, for some reason, I wake up day in and day out. It's like I reset and I kind of wake up, expect. I just hope I feel good. I want to be good. <laughs> I want, to be, I want to just have it all good around me. And that picture of reality is challenged every single day. Every day. Because of sin. Because of the world. Because of the devil. That's what we should expect, brothers and sisters. Praise God for the good days, right? Think about your, your week this past week. Did you have some good days? Didn't God give you some sweet days? Some good moments, some breakthroughs, some answer to prayers, some peace, some joy. Didn't he give you that? Didn't you have some hard days this week too? Didn't you have some days when it was just blowing up? <laughs> All around you, you couldn't, there was no rhyme nor reason. You went to bed on time the, the night before you had, you know, you got up, you tried to study your Bible and that was hard for some reason. Then the next thing you know, the next thing was hard. And the next thing you know, the next thing was hard. And the next thing you know, the next thing was hard. And the next thing you know, the whole day was hard. Did that happen to you this week? Okay, would you raise your hand if, if you had a good day this week? You had some good days. I mean, you know the day, it's like, by the end of the day, you're like, man, that was a good day. All right, good. Raise your other hand. <laughs> if, you, if you can look back at this day, this week, and you can say, you know, I had some, 
I had some rough days this week. I mean, by the end of the day, yes, there were the breakthroughs. God was faithful. But you know what? They were just, I mean, if I had to, if I had to kind of judge it as good or bad, it was, it was a rough day. Oh, my goodness. That was like a 50-50 split perfectly. Everybody had some good days. Some days where the, like, the sanctification was really paying off and you were just experiencing the joy and the fruit of righteousness. And then you had other days when it was like the fight was on. And sin was trying to kill you. Maybe your neighbor was trying to kill you. No exaggeration in the Northeast, right? I'm serious. Is life a fight? Yes. Why? Our own sin. And the sin of other people around us. Right? That makes life a fight. Your sin and the people sin around you. Parents know this. (laughs) Your sin is bad, mom and dad. Your kids' sin, that's really bad. (laughs) That sin, you know, interacting with your sin, that is going to make for a, a, a hard time. So life is a fight. It's our sin. It's the sin of people around us. It's the devil's sin. It is sin. So we have to learn how to fight. So how many of you guys have seen the, the, new, the new Top Gun movie, Top Gun Maverick? Have you seen that one? Probably shouldn't recommend movies from the pulpit. I won't do that, but uh, <laughs> I did watch Top Gun Maverick. I did think it was a pretty extraordinary movie. Um, really enjoyed it, but... This movie was all about, the whole movie was, was all about training, okay? If you remember the movie, the, it's all about these, uh, you know, Air Force pilots, and they have to fly this dangerous mission and take out this missile base, or we're all going to get, you know, hit by the missiles. <laughs> and it was all about training to have a mindset that would help them to accomplish a mission, and by the end of the movie, they, they had worked so diligently on, on cultivating and building and strengthening this mindset that they were able to fly this successful, this impossible mission. And there was all kinds of opposition. It was, it was amazing. Like It was really just got y'all fired up watching this thing. And they made it all the way through the mission. And then by the end, they were just decorated with glory. You see what I'm saying? Like they call that when the military, when they accomplish the mission and they get the stripes, they get the medals of honor. That's how the movie ended. It's really what our text is about today. Peter is painting in a, a picture in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, a picture of war. He's calling the church to arms. Get ready to fight. Put down your coffee thermoses. Pick up your Bibles. Get ready. Right? Some of you are getting convicted right now. Putting those coffee thermoses down. But yeah, get ready to fight. We're laid back. We're not ready to fight. Peter is calling the church to arms in this passage. And by the end of it, he talks about how we can persevere against the enemies of sin against the the enemies of this world, other people, and how we can receive the life and the hope of the gospel and how that can become a reality for us. Let me give you an, an outline of this text today as we get into it. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1a, we're going to see that Peter is calling the church to arms. You see that right away. It says, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. It's a call to arms. Right after that, in verse 1b, all the way through 4a, Peter is addressing the enemy of sin. (laughs) 
So afterwards, he addresses the enemy of sin. Whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live the rest of his time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. So you're no longer living for human passions or for your sin. Verse three, the Gentiles, the time is past. The time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. What do the Gentiles want to do? Sin. The time is past for that. He's addressing the enemy of sin. In verses 4 and 5, Peter is going to address the enemy of sinful people. In verse 4, it says, With respect to this, they're surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. He's talking about the Gentiles. He's like, when you live a holy life, it shocks them, takes them off guard. And what do they do? And they malign you. And then he talks about the end of that enemy. What's going to happen to that enemy in the end? If they don't repent, they'll face judgment. So in verses 4 and 5, Peter addresses the enemy of sinful people. They're going to make your life difficult at times. They're going to malign you. They're going to persecute you. And I believe in verse 6, he even alludes to the fact that they're even going to put some of you to death. But in verse 6, Peter reminds the church of the hope of the gospel. Yes, we're in a war. How do you win the war? By believing the gospel, by trusting the gospel, by holding fast to the gospel, by holding fast to your faith to the end, even in the face of death. Calling the church to arms, addressing the enemy of sin, addressing the enemy of people, or sinful people, and finally reminding us of the hope of the gospel. So let's walk back through that outline and fill it out. Peter says we're going to suffer in this world. Suffering is the expectation. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Jesus suffered. If you are a follower of the suffering servant, you're going to suffer in the same ways that he did. Again, suffering's the expectation. And I, I would say that should come as no surprise, but even in the first century, right? Look at chapter 4, verse 12. Look at what Peter says. Beloved, Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. It's like, what are you you surprised for? Don't you remember that suffering is the expectation? It is what you should wake up every day and expect. You shouldn't expect to be treated like a king. You should be expecting to be treated like the king of kings, right? He wasn't... Loved and cherished, people hid their faces from him. They spit on him. They mocked him. They hung him on the tree. They mocked him to his dying breath. That's how you should expect to be treated. Peter says, don't be surprised when you're not treated that way. You say, okay, my expectation is to suffer. I'm being called to arms. What is my weapon? What is my weapon? He says, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Here's your weapon in the face of suffering. Your weapon is the mindset of Christ. What is my mindset? It is the mindset of Christ. So, what do you mean by that? What was the mindset of Christ? This is is wonderful. This is beautiful. The mindset of Christ. Are you ready? Let me give you one, two, three, four things about the mindset of Christ. Number one, he had a mission, didn't he? Christ was a man on a mission. What was his mission? Chapter one, I'm sorry, look it back at chapter three, verse 18. Somebody read the mission of Christ. Go ahead. Don't be shy. 
chapter 3, verse 18, the mission. Great. What was his mission? To reconcile you to God. To push back the kingdom of darkness all the way to the cross and to conquer Satan in the decisive victory. That was his mission. So that you could be set free. Christ had a mission. Oh man, the book of Isaiah says that his face was set like flint. He couldn't be distracted. He couldn't be deterred. He was focused on the mission. I love Dr. Allen preaching this last year at the For the Church conference. He said, you know, the Great Commission's not going to be accomplished by accident. People accomplish the Great Commission on purpose. God have a mission. That's the Great Mission. Jesus had a mission. Fired up thinking about Jesus now going to the cross. Pushing back the kingdom of darkness all the way to Calvary Hill. Dying. Giving his life for the mission. Tell you the second thing about the mind of Christ. He had an expectation. He had a mission and he had an expectation to suffer. Jesus knew that he was invading enemy territory. What's the fusion creed? To suffer is expected. Why? Because you know you're going into hard places. You know it's not going to be easy. You think the Northeast is hard. It's going to be 10 times as hard for different reasons, but it's going to be hard. Jesus had an expectation to suffer because he was invading enemy territory. He was invading the darkness of this world. He left his throne in glory to come to the darkness. John chapter 1 comes to mind. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness did not understand it. But he knew that he was coming to a dark place. He knew that he was going to face the Pharisees. He knew that the world was the devil's domain and he knew that Satan wasn't going to give it up easily. He had an expectation to suffer. Do you? No, life is, wouldn't be so hard if you didn't expect it to be so easy. Well, if you expect it to be hard, maybe you'll prepare, right? Uh, last week, Dylan, my friend from Sagrada Scholarship Bible Camp, came and he told you about ministry in a hard place. Sagrada is not an easy camp. Uh, you know, the, the children who come to camp there, their parents have been incarcerated. They don't, they don't have their parents. They don't know their parents, whatever the case may be. But they come without a lot of parental upbringing. And so they come to the camp and it's difficult to work with them. Now, it's good that if you want to go to work at Sagrada Scholarship Bible Camp, it's good that you know that. It's good that you expect that. Because if you expect that you're just going to a camp to have fun with a lot of kids... A lot of church kids who are going to respect you and say, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. You might get a rude awakening. And when you get that rude awakening, guess what you're going to want to do to those kids who are difficult? Sin. (laughs) Because you didn't expect it to be hard. Expect it to be hard. Goodness gracious. How many times do I wake up and expect parenting to be easy? That is not a good expectation. (laughs) And how many times do I get slapped with reality? Oh, parenting is hard. (laughs) But now sin is like on my back. It would have been much better if I had the right expectation to begin with. If I would have expected it to be hard. In fact, if I would have been thinking through my day, if I would have been preparing my mind for action and love and say, you know, I'll bet you when those Sweet little kids come running down the stairs this morning. At least one of them will be in a bad mood today. And when that one's in a bad mood, it's going to do something to this one over here. And that one's going to... I'll bet you that's what's going to happen today. So what am I going to do about it? 
I'm going to get my whole Jesus. That's going to be really hard. I don't know. God, please. I already know my sin. I know my pride. I know that I'm just going to want to jump right in the middle of that fire and get burned up. So please help me, God, right now. See, I'm preparing my mind for action because I'm expecting it to be hard. Jesus had an expectation, didn't he? You know what else Jesus had? He had faith and hope. He had faith and hope that God had a plan and God was going to bless him for his suffering. Jesus had faith and hope. He knew that God would reward his suffering with honor and glory. That's what Kendra read back in verse 18. Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, he was made alive by the Spirit. Yes, he was put to death, but he was resurrected as the glorious King of heaven. He was vindicated by God. See, he knew. He told his disciples, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be handed over to the Gentiles. They're going to crucify me. They're going to beat me. They're going to hang me on the cross, and I am going to die. But don't worry, because I'm coming back. You see that? Faith, courage, confidence, resulting in the resurrection. Yet faith and hope. That's what else we know about the mindset of Jesus. He kept his heart fixed on the promises of God. What did he do at his lowest moment? What was the lowest moment of Jesus? Probably when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What did he do in his lowest moment? He trusted God. He went back to the word of God. See, faith and hope, our savior, all the way to the point of death, all the way to the end, trusting God, never failing. Wow, glorious. What a mindset, what a mindset. Finally, he had a mission. He had an expectation. He had faith and hope. And finally, he had a heart to glorify God by demonstrating ultimate love. He had a heart to glorify God by demonstrating ultimate love. Remember what he told his disciples. No greater love has anyone than this. Then he laid down his life for his friends. That's the greatest love possible. And Jesus laid his life down for his friends. He had the greatest love. And he had a heart to glorify God. What does it do every time that we love people the way that Jesus loved people? It glorifies God. There's only one person who can love people the way that God loves people. (laughs) That is God himself. That is the Son of God. And he had a heart to glorify God. Think about that, brothers and sisters, when you're suffering. Do you want to glorify God? Do you really have a heart for that the way that Jesus did? You're going to need that mindset. You're going to need to have that conviction. You're going to need to have that kind of commitment. He had a heart to glorify God. So suffering is the expectation. What should we do to prepare ourselves? We need the mind of Christ. What is the mind of Christ? Mission, expectation, faith and hope, and a heart to glorify God. You want to be like that when you grow up? You say, that sounds great. But Jesus is like, he's kind of the, 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 the champion, you know? I, I'm way, 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 way back here. And you're telling me to like catch up with Jesus? How do I do that? That's impossible. I can never have that kind of mindset. I mean, that's the way you should feel when you study the life of Jesus. You should go, there is no way. (laughs) There is no way that I could do what he did. You're right. You can't on your own. But you have Jesus living in you, right? Think about, that's awesome. Christ in you. Now you can live like Jesus. You say, how do I get these qualities? James 1.25. You say, I want the mindset of Christ, man. I I want to have faith and hope like that. I want to believe the way he did. I want to have a heart like that for the mission. I want to be, I want to expect hardship, but I want to overcome it because I love God and I want to glorify him. I want to be like Christ. I want to be just like that. I want to be strong like him. I don't want to give in to my sin. Where do you get qualities like that? James 1, verse 25. You can at least write these references down. I'll read them to you. James 1.25 says, But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it. Hear that? 
It's hard. You got to persevere. You got to push yourself to the limits. You look into the perfect law of freedom and you persevere in it. If you're not a forgetful hearer, but one who does good works, that is one who obeys the word, this person will be blessed in what he does. If you want to be like Jesus, you have to go back to his word. The perfect law of freedom. See, the word gives freedom. You study the word and it gives you strength and power. And you obey the word. And you will be blessed in what you do. First Peter, first Peter two verses one through three says, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Get rid of that sin. Repent of that. He says, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up to salvation. Long for the word. Like a newborn baby. Every three hours that baby wakes up. Feed me, feed me, feed me. As a Christian, you need to be like that with God. Feed me, feed me, feed me. As you study the word, you will learn the mindset of Christ. That's where we learn about the mindset of Christ. That's where we see him for who he is. That's where you can just come across those things in the Bible that teach you about Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit works through that to, to open your eyes to see Christ for who he is. And as you stare into his word and as you linger in your Bible studies and you meditate on the word of God, transformation starts happening in your heart. That's where you get those qualities. However, wouldn't it be nice if that was if it was just that simple? Oh, all I got to do is study my Bible and I'll be like Jesus. No, you study your Bible. And yes, it does change your heart and it does give you motivation and strength and power. But then you have to go through the trials of the hour. Right? You say, I want to have the mind of Christ. Then get ready to endure trials. Trials. Trials are coming. First Peter chapter 4, moving on. Whoever suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Arm yourselves with this way of thinking. If you've suffered in the flesh, you've ceased from sin so as to live the rest of the time. No longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Peter's addressing here the enemy of of sin. And he's talking about suffering in the flesh. One way to cease from sin is to suffer in the flesh, he says. Do you see that? For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time no longer for the passions of the flesh. Suffering leads to sanctification. You can write that down. He says that right here. The church was suffering. But as they were suffering, God was doing something in their lives. He was teaching them the mindset of Christ through suffering. He was sanctifying their hearts. You say, how does that work? Suffering isn't magic. We've said this before. Suffering can turn some people bitter, right? A lot of people go through suffering and they get bitter. But for other people, suffering makes them better. And the difference is the Holy Spirit working in a person's life to convert their suffering and their faithfulness into sanctification. So this is how the process works. Suffering exposes sinful areas of our heart or it aggravates the flesh. When it does these things, we must humble ourselves and ask Christ to help us. 
And the more that we depend on Christ, and the more that we endure, the more sanctified we become. So as you encounter suffering, your sin starts to react. You don't like this. You don't like to suffer. You don't want to go through this trial. Or maybe it's a sinful impulse or desire of the flesh. Well, I want this thing and I can't have it, but I'm going to lust after it. So what do we do when sin starts to boil to the surface and we have the impulse to sin? Follow along with me here. So you get this picture going through your life. You're going to experience sinful temptations, sinful desires. How do you fight against that sin? That's the mindset of Christ, to fight against that sin. How do we fight against it? Romans 8, 12, and 13. Can you write these references down? We're going to go through them quickly. Romans 8, 12, and 13. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will, what? Die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Hear that? By the Spirit put to death the deeds of the body, and you will live. Colossians 3, 5 through 8. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these two, you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Paul says in Romans 8 and in Colossians, we must put to death our sin. We must Put it away. We must rid ourselves of it. Galatians 5, 16 and 17. <clears throat> but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these two are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. By the spirit, put to death the deeds of the body, put to death what is earthly in you, put them all away, anger, wrath, malice. But I say, walk in the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh by the spirit, put to death the deeds of the flesh. When your sin rises up, through the Holy Spirit, kill it. Paul says, you must fight your sin to the death by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is like one of those, if you've ever seen a, a, you know, a movie with hand-to-hand combat, just bloody, gory, like, oh man, I can't even watch this. That's the kind of scene that Paul's painting here. Putting to death the deeds of the body. When sin rises up to attack you, you have to fight back. You have to conquer it. Think about Jesus on the cross, resisting the temptation to sin until he was completely dead. To it. To the temptation. It's a bloody and fierce Struggle. The flesh pushes back and fights back and screams as you take the sword of the Spirit and drive it into the heart of the flesh. The flesh struggles to get away while you hold its head under the water of the Word until it drowns. It's a graphic picture. Putting your sin to death. Are you struggling with sin like that, brothers and sisters? Is sin getting the best of you or are you shedding blood? Are you killing your sin? We're going to suffer. It's the expectation, right? Jesus suffered. We're going to suffer. 
in the flesh. Why? Because our flesh is sinful. Your flesh will rise up against you. Your flesh will not want to submit to God. Your your flesh will oppose you. You have an enemy within your own skin. And you have to kill it. You have to keep fighting until the smoke settles on the battlefield and there's peace. There's love and there's joy. You say, man, Samuel, how do I know my my sin is dead? How do I know I've killed this sin? You'll know when your sin is dead because the fruit of the Spirit will come in full bloom. You will have peace. You will have joy. Arm yourselves with this mindset. Arm yourselves with this mindset against sin. And you'll be free to live the rest of your time for the will of God, no longer for your human passions. But for God's will and His glory. If you suffer in the flesh, then you've ceased from sin so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Now for the second enemy. Now for the second enemy, people. People's, Peter's now going to address this, this next enemy. We read down through verse three, the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. Here's all these sins that we put to death. We no longer live for these things. The time that is past for that. But now he gets to the second enemy. With respect to this, The Gentiles are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. So the second enemy is is people who are resisting us as we try to live holy lives. People who are making it difficult for us to live a holy life. People whose sin is is impacting us and, and, and it might be even causing our sin to flare up. And we have to put that sin to death, but we still have, we can't control their sin. And so we have to, face off or we have to suffer. So what do we do with the first enemy? We kill it. What do we do with the second enemy? Don't say kill it. (laughs) So what do we do with the enemy of sinful people? Sinful people who are enemies. Number one, we pray for them and we love them. We pray and we love them. Number two, we wait for God's decision. How is God going to answer that prayer that we prayed for our enemy? We have to wait and see. We have to be patient, don't we? And thirdly, we have to persevere in the hope of the gospel. I'm going to break each one of these down. So we kill the enemy of sin, but when it comes to the enemy of people, we pray for them. Jesus said to love and pray for our enemies. Correct? Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Then you will be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the just and the unjust. How does God treat his enemies? God so loved the world who was full of his enemies that he gave his only son. That if his enemies would just believe in him, they could have everlasting life. That's how God treats his enemies. And he wants you to do the same. He wants you to pray for them. He wants you to love them. Why pray for them? When you pray for somebody, you pray for their their best, that they would repent, that they would believe the gospel. You say, what about all the Psalms when David prayed for his enemies (laughs) to fall into the pit? Well, you can pray for your spiritual enemies to fall into the pit, but when Jesus came, he, he brought the fulfillment of the law, right? You have the judgment of the law, the wrath of the law. You see that in David's prayers, like 
give them what they deserve, God. And then you see Jesus fulfilling the law, saying, God, give them what they don't deserve. And that's what God gave you, right? He gave you what you did not deserve. He gave you grace. That's how you pray for your enemies. Is it hard? Yeah. Really, really hard. Especially when they've cut you deep. When there's been a hard rejection. When there's been a, a lot of abuse over the course of your lifetime. It's really hard to pray for those enemies, isn't it? That word enemy has a lot of weight. He didn't say pray for your best friends. He said pray for your enemies. Pray for the people who are shooting at you. Pray for them. So what do we do with the enemy of people? We pray for him. Number two, we have to wait for God's decision. There are two things that God can decide, right? Sometimes God takes out our enemies. We, we pray for our enemies. We pray that they would have mercy. God would have mercy on them. But it could be that God just takes them out. God says, you know, they've had enough time. They've caused enough trouble. It's, it's the end of the road. Psalm 34, verses 15 and 16. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry for help. The face of the Lord is set against those who do what is evil to erase all memory of them from the earth. We can pray for our enemies. It's up to God to decide how he'll answer those prayers. Sometimes he chooses to pluck them up. Psalm 37, verses 34 to 36. Wait for the Lord and keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You, you will watch when the wicked are destroyed. I have seen a wicked, violent man, well-rooted like a flourishing native tree. And then I passed by and noticed he was gone. I searched for him, but he could no longer be found. Sometimes God just takes out your enemies. You've seen that in your life. I know that you've had people that were standing in the way, people that hurt you or people that hurt other people. And the next thing you know, the whirlwind came and swept them away. That's how it happens. Sometimes that's what God does. Other times, he makes them out to be your friends. So sometimes he takes them out, but sometimes he makes them out to be your friends, think about the Apostle Paul. Three pictures in the book of Acts to give you. Number one, first picture, Paul standing, arms folded, and just happy that Stephen is being stoned to death. Remember that picture of Paul? Picture number two, Stephen on his knees praying for his enemies. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The same prayer of Jesus from the cross was on the lips of Stephen as he was being stoned. God, just forgive them. They have no idea what they're doing. They're just blinded by their own sin. God, forgive them. Picture number two. Picture number three from the book of Acts. Paul on the road to Damascus. Being struck down in his pride. Humbled to the point of repentance, scales falling from his eyes as Ananias lays his hands on him. Brother Saul received, brother Saul, my friend, my brother Saul, the guy who was standing there cheering on the people who were stoning Stephen, that guy became your friend. That guy is the reason we're sitting here today, right? Obviously, because of Christ but certainly because of the efforts of Paul. The missionary who took the gospel outside of Israel into your country and your country and all of our countries started the spread of the gospel. That enemy became our best friend. Isn't that awesome what God did there? We pray, God, have mercy on our enemies. Maybe he won't. Don't you feel that tension when you're praying for people? You're begging God, save them, save them, save them. And there are days when it looks like he will. And there are days when it looks like he never will. And you don't know what he's going to do. But we ask God, please have mercy. You had mercy on me. Certainly I want you to have mercy on them, God. 
but work out your sovereign will. And sometimes he doesn't and sometimes he does. But when he does, your enemy becomes your friend. That's why you don't kill your enemies. It could end up being your best friends. Oh, man, wouldn't that be awesome? If that guy in the shop down the street who kicked you out ended up being your best friend. Pray for your enemies. Can God do that? Does he want to do that? Yeah, he wants to. Sometimes he does, but we don't know. So we're going to pray. God, just, I just beg God, save my enemies. I want to see that. It's a struggle. It's a struggle against sin. The people, the Gentiles, they malign us. They're surprised, verse 4. They're surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. Why don't you want to come to the party? Why aren't you coming along? They're offended. Their pride is hurt. Well, we, we, thought, we thought we were living the right way. We, were, we thought we were doing the right thing. Isn't this how everybody is? And you're trying to tell me that, that God hates the way that I'm living? That's offensive to me. And so now I'm going to make you pay. I'm going to persecute you. You're going to suffer in those ways. But we go back to the mindset of Christ and we arm ourselves in this, this way. We get ready to love our enemies, right? And pray. So in the struggle against sinful people, we pray for people, we wait for God's decision, and we persevere in the hope of the gospel. And this is in verse six. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead. Question, why was the gospel preached to those who are dead? See the word for there? It says for, you gotta look at your Bibles to see this. For this is why the gospel was preached to those who are dead. If you're taking notes, please write this sentence down. It's going to sound confusing, but it's, it's helpful. The word for is there for a reason. Okay, write this down. The word for is there for a reason. Sometimes the reason... For the four is before the four. So the reason for is there, the, 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 I can't even say it. The word for is there for a reason. Sometimes the reason for the four is before the four. Sometimes the reason for the four is after the four. So when you're reading and you see the word for, it's a very important word. There's a reason it's there. It's telling you that there's an important reason for what he's saying. But sometimes that reason is before it. Sometimes it's after it. So we have to look. In this case, is the reason for the for before or after the for? Okay. All right. So why was the gospel preached to those who are dead? So to whom is Peter referring? What do we know about the dead to whom he is referring? Well, we see there that what the gospel was preached to them, right? In verse six. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead. So whoever these dead people are, the gospel was preached to them. And it was for a reason. Okay? So the gospel was preached to them. We know that the people, that that they're dead. (laughs) We also know that they were judged in the flesh. See that? That though judged in the flesh the way that people are. So they were judged in the flesh. (laughs) 
I also think it's clear that they are alive in the spirit. They were judged in the flesh the way that people are so that they might live in the spirit the way that God does. So they were judged. They're now dead. But they are alive in the spirit. According to God. So on the one hand, they will be judged or they were judged in the flesh. On the other hand, they were alive in the spirit. Now, this this verse, if you look it up in a a variety of translations, I think it becomes more clear. I'll give you one example. The Holman Christian Standard Bible. Okay, I'll read the same verse to you in another translation. I think it becomes more clear. For this reason, the gospel was also preached to those who are now dead. So that although they might be judged by men in the fleshly realm, they might live by God in the spiritual realm. Do you you see the picture that Peter is painting? These people were, they're dead. They were judged by men. Why are they dead? Well, they were judged. Say you're you're not a Christian. Worship Caesar or else. I think that's the picture he's painting here. The Christians wouldn't comply to the the pressures of the, the pagan culture. And so they were even, some of them even being put to death. This fits the historical context of the time period as well, as we've talked about in earlier sermons. But they're put to death in the flesh. But God, that had no bearing on what God thought of them. They were judged by men. But as far as God was concerned, they were given life. What happened to Jesus? He was put to death in the flesh. But what? Made alive in the spirit. Do you remember that? Verse 18, he was put to death in the flesh and made alive in the spirit. See what happened to Jesus? The same thing's going to happen to you, to many of you. This is why the gospel was preached to them. They needed hope. They needed hope in the face of death. This is why the gospel is also preached to those who are now dead. Why? That although they might be judged by men, they might live by God in the spiritual realm so that they might persevere to the end and be given life. That they might be crowned with honor and blessing by God. God rewarded their suffering in the end. They suffered well. God gave them life. Why do we fight sin to the death? Why do we endure suffering in the world? Why go through all the heart, the the, the trouble of having the mindset of Christ? Because that is the person that God will bless, not only in the end, but all along the way. God blesses those who suffer well for him. If you don't suffer well for God, you can't expect his blessing. You can expect his discipline. But if you will hold fast to the gospel, the gospel that is preached to you week in and week out, if you'll hold fast to that gospel, and if you'll suffer and you'll fight your sin to the death, and if you'll endure the persecution and the suffering from this evil world, you will be blessed. You will be blessed. Are you ready for the battle? Yesterday, I went to a marriage conference Learned all about uh, what a poor husband I am. Learned all about the, the sin and the besetting sins, the pride, the, the things that make for a difficult marriage and how they just crop up so easily in us. Learned about all those things yesterday morning. They were highlighted. Just a reminder of the battle against sin. I was reminded of that. I was encouraged in the gospel. Yes, you're going to face this sin, but yes, there's hope because Jesus has delivered you from, I don't know, how did that brother say it? 
from the power of sin, from the penalty of sin, and from, the, uh, from one day the, the future presence of sin. One day there will be no more sin. Jesus has given you all of these things so you have hope in the gospel to fight against your sin. But he was reminding us of the fight. Reminding us of the hope that we have in the gospel. That we might persevere. Go on from there. Last night I sat down to, uh, to, to write more of this sermon, to work on it. I literally sat down, uh, opened a book to read, uh, to, to kind of get me warmed up and get me going. And my daughter comes down to me. She goes, there was a dog that got hit in the street. And, you know, the, you know there's several of the neighbors in the neighborhood, and, and they're all, they don't know what to do. And, and about the time that, that Joy gets out there to help in the situation, the dog's owner runs up the block and is yelling at her like she had something to do with the dog getting hurt. It was just like mass chaos and confusion. <laughs> we were being blamed for what happened to the dog. It was just, it just felt crazy. Right when I sat down to work on that sermon. Just crazy, the timing of that. It was just like everything just blew up. Turned into World War III. But you know what happened as we, uh, as we gently responded to that young man? Gentle answer turns away wrath, Right? Gently responded to him, and he began to see that, no, we were just trying to help. We didn't do anything, you know. We are just trying to help. And, and he softened, and, and we helped him get his dog and take it to his house. And from there, we got to uh, meet his uh, family members and, and pretty rough crowd in some ways. But we got to pray with them. We got to preach the gospel to them in love. We, we you know. We ended up helping them take their dog. It had to be put to sleep. Really, really sad. But it was just a battle. I mean, I, I never did get to work on my sermon again last night. Never happened. Because from there, uh, you know, the kids needed help. And Joy was taking the dog to the vet. And it got later and later. And more and more things kept coming up. It was just like, oh my goodness, I, I can't even get to it. And I'm just fighting. One roadblock after the next, after the next, after the next, Right? Don't you feel like that? You have all these roadblocks, all this resistance, all this temptation, all these times when my sin wanted to just take over. All these times when I just, I felt, I, I was just faltering. I, was, I felt like I was about to fail and I was just crying out and praying, God, help me. God, help these people. God, help this situation. God, help my wife. God, help me to get back to writing that sermon. I'm, I'm reaching out to people. I'm like, pray for me, pray for me. I'm calling for reinforcements. Like, I can't do this by myself. Somebody help me. I'm, I'm trying to, like, keep the mindset of Christ right now, but it is a battle to have this mindset. It is a fight. My sin wants control. People, pressures. It's all fighting and pressing against us. And yet we arm ourselves with the mindset of Christ and we persevere and we fight those battles. And like Peter says here, we live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions but for the will of God. We have sanctification. We fight through those battles. We fight through our sin. We endure the, uh, the, the suffering that we go through in this world. And through that process, God sanctifies us. And he strengthens us. I'll close with verses that say exactly that in chapter 5, verse 6 and following. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him. See that prayer? Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Pray, cast all your anxieties on him. Because he cares for you. Be sober, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. There's another spiritual enemy. The devil prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Suffering is common. And finally, in verse 10, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself 
restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be glory forever and ever. As we fight these spiritual battles, and God sanctifies us and gives us freedom from our sin, we'll see this pattern over and over again. Sin, sin, temptation, trial, fighting back in faith with the mindset of Christ, prevailing, overcoming, sanctification, restoration by God, perseverance all the way until we see him face to face. That is the plan. That is the battle plan. And if we will stick to the plan, we'll be decorated in glory. We will be. Praise the Lord. Pray for you. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. God, I pray that you bring clarity and that you bring wisdom and revelation through the Holy Spirit in the knowledge of Christ. God, that you would help us get to know Christ more through this text, through the Holy Spirit working. God, through the preaching of the word and in the meditations of the hearts of the saints. God, everybody in this room brings uh, just uh, a multitude of life experience in here. And God, the Holy Spirit can just work through every single person's heart and mind and their life experiences and bring this word today to apply and to help them see how this all fits and how it all works together for their good. You work all things together for good for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. You're doing all of these things, God, so that we might be conformed to the image of your son, God, so that we might arm ourselves with this same mindset for the battle. God, help us. God, we need you. Help us in the fight against sin. Help us in the, in, in, as we struggle with people who are currently our enemies. God, help us always to hold fast to the hope of the gospel. Strengthen us through the gospel again and again and again that Jesus came to die and set the sinners free, to set us free. And that because we have believed in him, he has washed us in his blood and he has made us a new people. And he has given us power to overcome this world. Pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.